Hi, this is Craig, and welcome to this episode of Leaders with Craig Miller. This is the podcast where we speak with leaders and discuss real-life challenges and practices to becoming more effective at work and in life. In today's episode, I'm joined by Barbara Carruth-Zell. Barbara is the Group Chief Operating Officer for Allianz SE for the entire worldwide organization. Allianz, just to look at some facts, is one of the largest financial services providers in the world, over 100 million retail and corporate clients. They have 150,000 employees and revenue of over 140 billion euros. And Barbara joined us today and we talk not only about her journey in coming up through the ranks at Allianz to the point where she's now a member of the management board, but also quite interestingly, the, the theme around diversity and diversity of teams. Our conversation was really about not only diversity that people I think are talking about quite a bit these days, be that gender, be that race, but we talked more about diversity in worldviews, in ways of thinking, in ways of doing the work itself. And I really hope that you enjoy this episode and how Barbara shared her view and what she's doing to not only bring more diverse people into the organization in terms of ways of thinking, but how to have this diversity work together in the first place, which I found really interesting. So Barbara, welcome and thank you very, very much for joining today. (laughs) Thanks, Greg, for having me. (laughs) Like uh, I do each time with this podcast, I'm super interested in starting with who is Barbara? So uh, you've been introduced in the intro to the podcast from a title standpoint, but maybe just share with us, who's Barbara? Where did you grow up? And a little bit about you and what brings you on this journey. Let's start there. Yes, maybe if you listen to my story, the, we would not connect it to the title I'm currently having. But I grew up um, half in the city, half in the mountains, um, in between Bavaria and uh, Austria, Bavaria, Germany and Austria. And uh, by growing up in, in the mountains, uh, first I wanted to become a farmer. Uh, but then there was two things my parents told me is uh, first I need to get up at five o'clock in the morning and I hate it. And the other thing they told me then I need to kill the animals. And this is also not what I like to do. So I said, no, no, and maybe not a farmer. Um, later then I wanted to become a marine biologist um, because I did my first dive um, and I was so fascinated that I said that this is exactly what I want to do. Um, uh, again, my, my parents convinced me that I don't want to sit in a laboratory because all biologists, they sit in the laboratory. So therefore, not, not a good idea. <laughs> so they said, you do something uh, which is uh, more broad, which gives you more perspective in life. Um, what about business administration or economy? economics? So I combined the both, um, and this uh, is what it brought me to. So it's also not a bad choice <laughs> if you if you look uh, in what I did uh, the the last years. And I really like what I'm doing. I, I I still try to combine a little bit of everything with my private and my professional life, and this is where I am um, today. The Group CEO of Allianz, looking into operations and IT topics, very linked to the business, of course, and as also taking care of uh, sustainability issues. And if we, I mean, we'll go, we'll go to Allianz and go to the business in a second, but I want to go back to your first dive. 
So talk to me for a second about your first dive. And I, I haven't ever been a diver and I don't have that much of a relationship actually with anything below in the sea. What, what, what caught you? What was that? What happened? And, and why is it so important for you? It's a completely, it's another world. It's a, I think probably it's like you, probably like the astronauts feel in the, in the universe because uh, nobody can talk to you. Um, you're completely alone in the blue. Um, is uh, the the sounds are very different. The, the time is different. Uh, you, I lost completely the time. Um, and the other amazing thing, you float. Is uh, you are you're floating. Uh, so for me it was uh, many years later. I started to meditate, but I think my first dive was already my my first meditation. Completely forget about time, forget about any issue that bothered you above water, just being in, in another world. So cool. And then maybe just take us, you're currently the COO, but what was the experience like coming up the ranks in a corporate setting? What was it like starting as, a, as an individual contributor? What was your first leadership experience? What, what's that journey been like for you? Well, I started in Allianz already in a kind of like they called it fast track career program mm -hmm. um, where you already have a lot of exposure to board members. You work on special programs. Um, you get a variety of stations and a variety of business to see. And that, of course, is very, very useful. First of all, for yourself to learn a lot and also to 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 be known within the company. What, I, what was also really helpful for me that they put me into a program to learn from scratch. Um, so I went into claims, claims handling, um, and I did everything anybody who is a claims handler today does um, for six months. So you really understand how the process works. Uh, but of course, with the nice combination that besides you are involved in strategic programs. And then I, well, of course, now, since I'm over 20 years within Allianz, I can only speak um, for, for Allianz in, in that respect. I always was lucky to have um, um, managers that supported me because I always wanted to also have a family and you need to balance the both. And I did not want to have a nanny to take care of my kids and I go and work and I never see them. So um, very early, they arranged for me that I could also work from home. But what I found out, you need to request. You need to ask for the things. If you don't ask, the, the people don't think that you would need that. Especially in the early days, there was not so much women in leadership. So they probably they didn't think that my life would be easier if I would have a computer at home. I think this is probably one of the learnings that you need to ask. And you should not be shy also to ask for help because there were, of course, occasions when I had to leave the office because my son had a felt and had an accident um, or my daughter was sick or whatever you can imagine when you have kids. But every time I ask, every time I got full support. So I think um, that is probably something I would recommend to all the, the, the younger ones listening. Yeah, I think the younger ones and even I can just speak from experience some of the more experienced leaders as well, it's often missed. So I can think of many times I've been in coaching sessions and have asked my client, have you made that request? 
So what they're doing is they're complaining about something that's going on. And my question is, have you made the request? And the answer is no, because I don't think that that's possible. And we'll challenge that a little bit. And quite often, of course it's possible. And they simply hadn't made, hadn't even thought that they could make the request. And by making a clear request that has some logic behind it, yeah, the, the, most of the time the, the, the boss, the manager says, sure, or, you know, or we find a counter offer that works for everyone. That's helpful. So if you think about, you know, how, how does, how did that happen where what I'm hearing you say is you had these opportunities because people saw something in you and made that possible. What, what were they seeing? I'm always interested in how did that happen? What were people seeing in you? What are you seeing in others? Probably they saw that uh, the moment I was given a task, I, I was fulfilling it. I was actually, if I made a promise, I delivered up to the promise. So um, sometimes I did that late at night. Sometimes I did that very early in the morning to unusual working hours, but they could rely on me. And I think this is what they saw. Also, they saw that um, I was always curious. If there was something um, I have not done before, I was always raising my hand. I said, well, I can try. So then I started to dig myself into, into the topic. So I was always wanting to go a little bit outside my, my comfort zone. Where did you learn to be able to, that's huge. Where did you learn to be able to go outside your comfort zone and take a bit of a risk and be curious? Because so many people that I see in the world stay safe most of the time. It's a very funny question. Never, I thought about this one. Spontaneously, what would come to my mind, and now my brother and my sister will laugh about it. Um, I, we are three, and I was the middle one. And always when we wanted to have something, um, I had to go and ask for it. So it was always me also going to strangers, whatever there was in the hotel or in the restaurant or somewhere. So I said, you go, you go. <laughs> because... There was no special training I can think of. Maybe this is the, the root cause. But you were the brave of the three siblings. You were the brave one. You were the one to go. I, I was, well, I, I became the brave one. I see from the beginning, I was forced to be the brave one because, you know, with three, um, uh, you always need to be uh, fast and make your coalition for the day because usually it's two against one. So you <laughs> say, you, you go, and then for the day is us. So <laughs> probably was born out of that constellation. And do you think if we look at your current journey, do you think that bringing curiosity and being fulfilling your promises, I'm just picking up on the two things that you said people saw that kind of brought you in in the beginning. Are those also the main things that are responsible for having a board of management position now in such a large company? What, what, what else would you say are the key factors to, to where you are today? How did that happen? Well, I think there's, there's a third component um, that um, I developed over time. I think I am good in choosing the right people for the team. Hmm. So I, if, if I look throughout my career, I always had a, a fantastic team. Sometimes not in the beginning because I, then I started to build. But um, every time I, I left and I went into the, the next career opportunity, I had left a team behind um, that, that was really, really strong. So I think that is also very important. And that is probably combines um, the, the curiosity and the asking for help. Because if I would 
like they describe the teams I'm building is um, very diverse from all points of view. Um, like, of course, uh, you have a gender, nationality, and so on, but also very diverse characters, very um, diverse skills. That is probably for me more easy because I'm more open in showing what I can do and what I cannot do. And then, uh, of course, compose the team. So together we are more than only one. Um, and I think this, this is the combination that, for me, worked out very well. How do you, sometimes my clients, when we talk really about diversity, when we really get into the conversation, one of the things that I find interesting is it's hard to build diverse teams at times because it means I need to work with people that don't see the world the way I see the world. It's so much easier to surround myself with people that think like me. So I'm not even getting into gender. I'm going to where you said, which is yeah, diversity, yeah. diversity can just be worldview. We just see the world differently. So how do you do that? How do you surround yourself with people that don't see things the way you see them and, and, and create results? I like a lot to travel. Uh, I always liked it from, from when I was very little. I was fascinated by different cultures. And thanks to my parents, we traveled really a lot. And I got to see so many different habits, different, um, different behaviors, different ways of thinking. Also in my family, um, we had a lot of discussions, um, political discussions at dinner table. And in my family, we had all kind of <laughs> political streams, so to speak. So I kept it also in my in my professional life. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious about human beings, and I of course select the people for for the uh, specific strengths. And another criteria I put is uh, and <laughs> yes, it's true. Is sense of humor because if mm -hmm. somebody has a, a, a sense of humor, it's always you can always discuss with him. Um, you might not actually um, come to agree. You you might agree to disagree, but it's, it's a different thing. If somebody is who are completely without sense of humor and is uh, really completely focused, determined, it's very difficult to work. I tried also, but it's really difficult to actually embed in a team. Because what then you, uh, in a team you need when you have all these diverse people at one point in time, they last together. And then you actually reach <laughs> the, the next level of, of collaboration. So, and I think that that is something you, you need to like people. You need to be curious about people and then it works. I love that. That's so interesting. So, so that means that when you're building a team, when you're interviewing someone, of course, you're looking for skills, but you're actually paying close attention to chemistry, sense of humor. Yeah. Does this person feel fit? Does, is this the kind of person I would want to hang out with? Yeah, exactly. I do that, but I give you um, immediately also the downside of that one. And that I have not solved up to now because of course I'm doing that. And then I have this team and they all like to work for me and I like to work with them. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that the team members among itself naturally like each other because yes. they are sometimes so different that they think, well, why are we in this team? So sometimes, um, and that was um, a learning I had in in uh, one of my previous teams that I um, happened to have a coach for this team. And he told me, Barbara, you need to be careful because you are the, the, the spider in the web, so to speak. Yes. But uh, when you go away, they will not stay. So you need to start also making sure that they link amongst each other. 
because otherwise it will fall apart. And that is the tricky part. And maybe give an example of what something you've 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 experimented with. How would how would you? What's an example of how you go about connecting diverse people when it's not just about the relationship with the leader? I give them a common task. I try to identify a task where they both actually could work together and be even more successful. And that usually works. As I listen, the two of you, I think would be super if you would work on that topic. Also, I, I see, I, I try to take the ones that are most likely to start to work together and then I go for the more difficult ones. So at least each of them has two or three he feels good with and then we go for the, for the broader round. Super. And if we keep going, I mean, if we just, just to put you on the spot for a second. So in your own, this is one example. Do you have another example of in your own leadership, what you're currently working on that's not solved? What, what is it that you, I often call it the learning edge for a leader. What are you working on personally in getting better at? Yeah, this is also not a secret. My, my team will laugh about it when they will listen to this podcast. Um, I, I very much like harmony. So I like when everybody is good with each other, you know, the team is having fun, we achieve the results, we celebrate and so on. But of course, um, I know that we need the friction. And in the team I create also, the, the, I want the friction because by this we challenge each other. Um, the only problem is I cannot keep very good, very long the conflict. So um, often I step in too early and I try to calm down everybody because, you know, also with the different cultures we have, some are more heated and then I, I try to calm down everybody. And by that, I'm actually losing or the team is losing um, some uh, good solutions, some good ideas. And, and, and that is something I need to work on. So I'm really trying to hold back and say, okay, it's not a problem. They can fight for another five minutes, <laughs> but uh, it's difficult. I think it's, I, I think it's speaking for myself and for many of my clients, I would use the word excruciating. I, I, I find it really difficult. And um, I identify with that and I can share openly that I make it my own practice in life, not only in work, but to look for small moments of conflict and just try and stay with it a little bit longer to build the muscle. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. And my reaction is to just get out immediately. And yet what I find with clients around the world is that the shadow of this is that if I'm not able as a leader to stay with the conflict, decisions get pushed off, things are not clear. Oftentimes the person in the room who's the loudest gets things to happen, even though it's not best for the business, because mm -hmm. we don't, we don't want to have a difficult conversation. So I think it's really important that you share this because I see it everywhere I go. And there's definitely nothing wrong with building harmony. It, as long as we understand that there's a cost and that we can build, build the muscle and find some balance. That's what I find. Yeah. And also what I see is you get more people speaking up because uh, the people see it's possible to have a, a heated discussion. The people, even the, the ones more silent, they start to open up and they need always more time to open up. They don't open up in the first minutes. They see how it goes. They start thinking. And um, this um, uh, I definitely lose when I go in too early. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, if we're on the theme of diversity, 
we think immediately of diversity in terms of race or gender, for example, diversity could be relationship with conflict as well. Because yeah. I've worked with other leaders and seen other teams where some of the team members thrive in conflict. It's their most favorite part of the day when everyone's mm-hmm. screaming and, <laughs> and things are difficult. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's funny because if I look back to um, how I educated my children, is when they were fighting and I didn't know who is right or wrong and one came and was complaining about the other. I told this and you go back to your sister or to your brother and say, I don't like this. And they looked at me and they went back, of course, at the age of three, they do what the mother says. They went back and said, I don't like it. And the other one was surprised and said, okay. So, but then they solved it somehow themselves. Um, but this we lose when we then work amongst ourselves, work with adults. Um, we should also give a little bit more freedom so they, they solve themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think, as a final question, and then we're going to move to the, to the questionnaire, what's your, what's your view on the relationship between parenting and leadership? What have you learned from being a parent, from being a leader? What, what, what's, the, what's the commonality there? I think giving um, clear, clear guardrails hmm. is very important. Choose your battles. Is also something I think is the, the same. <laughs> no, when I think about it, one thing I do much more for my kids than I do in the job is to praise them. Because for the, for the kids, I often, well, they're really great, done immediate, immediate feedback. I think immediate feedback, we do much more for the children and we should do much more in the job as well. Any idea, any, any theories on why it doesn't happen as much in the job? Hmm. I think we take it maybe for granted. What would you say? I think it's the amount of, I think that makes perfect sense. And there's just so much movement and so much noise in the workplace that maybe I get the thought, but then I'm on to the next thing and it's just a missing practice. And yeah. And yet what's so amazing is the amount of leaders that I have worked with who leave positions because of lack of gratitude, because of lack of recognition. It's so important mm-hmm. yeah. to be acknowledged, all of us. So I could go on for a long time, Barbara, but we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna go, go, go to the questionnaire. This questionnaire, as I've often shared, was invented by a man named Bernard Pivot in, in France and then adopted by James Lipton, which is where I learned it. And, and I like the questions. And I also use the questionnaire because I think it's interesting to create a common set of questions with each guest just to be able to see mm-hmm. where people are. So, Barbara, what is your favorite word? And it can be in any language. Genau. <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> word in German as well. Um, do you want to try and translate for the listeners? Genau. I use it now as well. It kind of means okie dokie. Um, it means genau means exactly right, uh, means uh, spot on. Yeah. I see it exactly like you. What is your least favorite word? Maybe. Hmm. What turns you on? What inspires you? Passionate people. And what turns you off? I had two answers. You can, <laughs> no, you, you, can, you can do both. Unfairness. Unfairness is, I think, is, is the most. Great. What sound or noise do you love? <laughs> the sound of the sea. What sound or noise do you hate? Do you call it styropor that is actually against um, 
going against each other, how you call it, styropor, that is the sound of styropor, that if you, when you touch or scratch styropor, and the same when you go with the fork over a plate. Oh, sure. Okay. 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 What is your favorite curse word? What is a curse word? A bad word. A, a, a word that... <laughs> um, for the German, of course, is uh, scheiße. <laughs> <laughs> what what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, still a marine biologist. <laughs> of course. But 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 not in the lab, a practical one. The one that goes yes, to the exactly one out on the sea. What what profession would you absolutely not like to attempt? A hairdresser. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, welcome. Uh, your family is already waiting for you. Nice. Nice. Thank you very much, Barbara, for joining. This was great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. I was really, it was, I really enjoyed it. I was very nervous, but now I like this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again to Barbara Caruthzell for joining the podcast today. I really had a great conversation with Barbara and enjoyed not only the, the theme of diversity in terms of thinking, but also hearing some of the practical ways that she's learned along the way to build teams and to get out of her own comfort zone. And really appreciate that Barbara shared that and uh, certainly hope that you enjoyed this episode. I'm Craig Miller and reminding you that leadership is a performance art and it's learned and improved through practice. I invite you to keep listening to upcoming episodes, find new ideas, and then go out and practice in your life and work. And as always, if you found this conversation relevant and useful, please share with others. Please also send us your feedback and comments. And thanks for listening.